Good evening. It's a pleasure to be here with you all tonight, even though we're not together physically. Um, it is a pleasure to be teaching to you from God's Word tonight. Um, I have felt deeply loved uh, by many of you as you have extended uh, offerings of prayer and support to me in preparing for this message, and I am very appreciative of that. Uh, this evening, we are going to be looking at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. I'll give you a second to turn there. Uh, in summary, we are going through a series called What is God Like and What Difference Does That Make? And tonight we are looking again at 1 John 4, 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know God. Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So by now, I'm sure you've deduced that tonight we are going to be discussing the love of God. As the Apostle Paul, or John, excuse me, not so so familiar to just say the Apostle Paul. The Apostle John, in writing this, this great book of um, love, gives us an insight into who God is. Uh, and he says, not only in verse uh, 8, but also again in verse 16, later in this chapter, that God is love. Now, love is something that each one of us aspires to attain. Each one of us desires to be loved accepted and treasured for who we are, not just for things that we do, but who we are at the core of our being. That is something that all of us universally have a desire, whether that's romantically in a friendship or in a a relationship with a family member. That is something that we all desire, and it's given to us by God. It's something, because we are made in his image, it's something that we crave. You even see this in our culture uh, love is something that we love to talk about. It's something that we love to sing about. It's something that we love to write stories about. Uh, as, as we consider what the great stories uh, of our age are, they're often wrapped in love. Anyone who knows me fairly well, well, pretty well, will know that my, one of my five-time, all-time favorite movies is Pride and Prejudice. Now, I can't see any of you, but I can hear the humming and hawing from the men and the rolling of the eyes. Bear with me. It's an amazing story. If you haven't watched it, you absolutely should. Um, I love a good story, and good stories always have love at the center. Now, if that's too feminine, another favorite is Braveheart. Now, amongst all the gore and the fighting and the bravado and the masculinity is an epic love story of a husband who wants to love and protect his wife. And his inability to do that leads him to do crazy and courageous things. But the thing that makes that story great is that love story. So we cherish love 
in its idea. Um, but love is one of the most misunderstood things, not only in our culture, as we see uh, love being expressed freely as, as just you know, sexuality being whatever you want it to be. God has laid out what love is. Uh, and as we look to the scriptures, as we look to God's word, God makes it very clear what love is and what love is not. So one common thing that we see as we consider that God is love is that this is a very misunderstood attribute of who God is. It's our favorite by far. You can have a discussion about God's love with just about anyone. Even, even atheists are willing to discuss the love of God. And we tend to take this one attribute and allow it to define who God is. Now, God is love, but that is not what defines God. God defines love. Love does not define God. To, to allow love to define God would be to neglect and dismiss every other attribute of who he is. And we've looked at some of those, and we'll look at more in the, in the rest of this series. Uh, but it's to neglect or to, to dismiss God's wrath, God's justice, God's holiness, God's faithfulness, God's patience, his long-suffering. If we allow love to define who God is, it leads us to draw drastically inappropriate conclusions. It's to ignore the rest of Scripture. In our world today, there's been a movement for some time, this idea that love wins. Uh, Many books have been written about it, and, and many people would claim that, yes, God is love, and because of that, God can't do this. Because of that, how could a loving God have hell? How could there be eternal punishment if God is love? Now, these questions are putting God's actions in submission to our own reasoning. It is not allowing us, as we should, uh, to view who God is and what he has done and allowing that to shape our thoughts and our reasoning. We've flipped it. We've we've subjected God and who he is to our reasoning, and that is never a good place to be. Um, Even in this short passage that is all about God's love and and also, well, largely it's about our response to that love. But as we look at God's love, even in this short passage, we see other attributes of God hidden in the text that you may not pick up on right away. The first... The first would be that when we see the word propitiation there in verse 9. In verse 9 it says, He loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now propitiation has two meanings. Well, one real meaning. But generally it is the act of gaining or regaining the favor or goodwill of someone or something that has been lost. The act of propitiating would be to make appeasement. This word is almost only ever used in in connection to sacrifices made to God's wrath or the God's wrath. Other other cultures would look at uh, sacrifice as a means to appease 
or to make propitiation for whatever they thought was going on. So if there's a, uh, a famine, propitiation needs to be made, sacrifices need to be made, and that is what Jesus has done on our behalf. So the idea of propitiation means that there's wrath, there is punishment, there's justice. God is not just dismissing sin. And then at the end of this verse, uh, verse 10, it says, for our sins. This indicates to us a couple of things. One, that God is holy. God's holiness is upheld through this propitiation made for our sins. So as we look at this text, we see that love is best understood through the gospel, and that's really what John is driving us to here. Now, John in this, in these, this paragraph does two things. He does, makes two of the same exact statements, but in, inverts them. So in verse 9, it says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. So John is saying there, the word manifest means to, to prove or it has two meanings. It can mean to make clear or evident to the eye or the understanding, to show plainly, to prove, to put beyond doubt or question. So God's manifestation of his love, his, his proof of his love, his example of his love, his evidence of his love for us is that God sent Jesus into the world so that we might live through him. And then again in verse 10, He gets to the main point. In this is love. So what he's saying is, this is the definition of love, as we could best understand it, as we look to God, as we understand Scripture, this is the definition. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So as we look at sin, as we look at God's love, we have to understand it in the full context of who God is. That God does not just dismiss sin. In fact, the scriptures say that we are forgiven. However, it is not that we are forgiven in the way that we would forgive one another. When we forgive someone, we are pardoning or uh, letting go of something. God cannot do that. God has to serve justice for all sin that has ever occurred. And that is why it says that he has made Jesus to be a curse for us. When we look at the cross, as, as ugly as it might seem, it is the crowning jewel of all creation. It is the moment at which all of God's attributes are upheld, where God's holiness is made perfectly known and upheld. God's wrath on sin is poured out. God's justice is upheld. Not one sin will go unpunished. Either we will suffer that punishment or Jesus will. God's love is made perfect in the, in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without God's justice, without God's wrath, we could never fully understand God's love for us. It would be diminished. It would be made cheap. God's love for us is made perfect 
in the death of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so as we look at God's love, we see some pretty amazing realities about it. One, the first would be God's love is not for the lovable. In our passage, it says um, that God sent us his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, this idea of our sins lets us know we are not in the right standing before God, that we have erred against him. We have slandered his name. We have rejected him as king and lord. And this love is, is brought to us without us desiring it. In verse 10, it says, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. God took the initiative. God sent Jesus when we still hated him. In Romans 5, verses 6 through 10, it says, For while we were still weak, weak is, weakness is not an ideal term that we would like to use about ourselves. At the, to- at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's all of us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. You see, God does not wait for you to clean up your act. God does not wait for you to become religious and go to church and, and pray and and do things that we would deem to be very religious and and honoring. God doesn't wait for that. God right now has done everything necessary to love you in perfection. God has done everything to secure you in your salvation if you will bow your knee to Jesus and repent. So God's love is not for the lovable. It is for the enemy of God. It is for the sinner of God, the ungodly. We can do nothing on our own. God did all of the work. And thankfully, it's not for those of us who have a clean lifestyle or a religious lifestyle. God's love is an exercise of his goodness toward individual believers. And what that means is God's, God's love is not just an ethereal idea poured out on all believers. God specifically chose and loved you if you have salvation in Jesus Christ. Uh, in Ephesians 1.4, it says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, God chose you that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. God specifically chose you. God's love is not just something poured out on all believers and it's kind of general. God has specifically called you 
and has specifically loved you in spite of all of your sin, in spite of all of my sin, God has poured his love on me. And we should all be filled with gratitude for that. God's love for us has the same fervor and magnitude as his love for Jesus. Just think about that for a moment. God's love for you and for me is the same as his love for Jesus. No one could be loved more. We are loved with all that love could be. John 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Now this connection, it's almost like a math equation. As God has loved me, Jesus, so I have loved you. This means we experience the exact same love that God shows to Jesus. And that same love is not only shown to us from Jesus, but it's also from the Father. So we see that God's love is not for the lovable. God's love is an exercise of goodness toward individual believers. God's love for us has the same fervor and magnitude as his love for Jesus. And in Christ, we are forever caught up in the love of the triune God. John chapter 17, verses 20 to 23 I do not ask for these only, and this is, sorry, this is Jesus speaking in his uh, high priestly prayer. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So from this passage, we see again, we are loved with the same intensity and passion that the Father has for Jesus. And if, if that's not an overwhelming thought, I, I don't know what is. Uh, God's love is not just poured out on us and, and something that we can feel or sense. It is, it is real and it is everlasting. And we are brought into this relationship with the triune God. It's something amazing. Like, I can't even wrap my mind around one, the Trinity, that there's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God in one, all in one, and yet we are going to be a part of that. In verse 21 of John 17, Jesus says, Father, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. We are going to experience, I don't know how fully, but I believe very fully in, in the life to come, in heaven, that we will experience God the Father and the Holy Spirit and Jesus in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. And we are not just recipients of God's love, we become manifestations of his love. So God manifested his love among us by giving us Jesus. Here in John 17, 
It says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. So we receive the same glory that God pours out on Jesus is poured out on us. Not perfectly in this life, but it is poured out on us. And it says that at the end of 23, so the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. So in some way, our love for one another is a manifestation of God's love to the world. And Jesus said this more plainly when he said, love, uh, yeah, I should have written this down. Um, (laughs) God said that the world will know his love when we love each other, the church. So as we love one another, that is manifested to the world around us. So God's love is manifested through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It is also manifested through each one of us as we love the church. And we also can see that this love is not just kind of complacent. You know, God has, has worked mightily to save. And in Luke 15, 10, it's, it tells us that just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And this means that the, this does not mean, as I believe it was Pastor Eric, this does not mean that the angels are rejoicing. This is because it's, there's joy before the angels. So what's before the angels? It's God. God is rejoicing over one sinner who repents. It brings God incredible joy to know that one of us has repented and turned to love him. And as we are in heaven, which is our goal, where our goal is, our end goal is heaven, we will know that this is the joy that we'll experience we will experience the same love that God has for Jesus. And that is an overwhelming thought, and it should fill us with joy in this present life as we face difficulties. But you may be asking yourselves, why don't I feel loved by God right now? This is another common misunderstanding about love in the Bible, or love in general, is is to say that love and kindness are synonymous, because they are not. Kindness is most concerned with immediate comforts. Same thing could be said of uh, just being polite. A lot of times we as Christians can sum up our love for someone else by simply being generally polite to them. That is not what love is. God's love is not just kindness. Now, God's love is displayed in kindness, and I spoke about that last time, that God shows mercy and love and kindness even to those who do not believe. The fact that we are still here breathing today is love for us. The fact that God didn't wipe out the world centuries ago is love for us, and that is bestowed on us and the unbelievers. Uh, Unbelievers experience good blessings from the Lord in this life. But that kindness is not the full love that is expressed to the elect, to those God has chosen to love from before the foundation of the world, as we looked at earlier. So kindness is most concerned with immediate comforts. Love, on the other hand, is concerned with what is best or good, and that is a huge difference. So kindness is a small part of what love is, but it is not love. In Hebrews chapter 12, The author tells us this in verses 5 through 6. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? 
My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? Now we can see this to be very true and plain even in life today. As a father, if I see one of my children strike another one of my child, children, yeah, um, if one of my children strikes another, if I do not correct that behavior or discipline that behavior, almost everyone would say, that is not love for that child. To discipline is to love. That does not necessarily have to mean corporal punishment, but if we do not discipline, if we do not reprove, we are not loving as a parent. As a parent, if we allow our children to do whatever we want, even the world would say, they really don't care about their child. How could they let them grow up to be like that? And we see this evidenced in, you know, sometimes supermarkets will be in the checkout lane, and you're like, man, those kids are out of control. I can see uh, they're not doing anything at home. They must not really love their kids. Um, And we can get confused about that. It can be seen sometimes as loving to not discipline. But a wise, discerning person can say to, to love someone is to do what is best for them. And sometimes what's best for them is hard. And so discipline, as, it, it never brings me any joy to take away privileges from my children for their behavior. It never does. But I know that it is for their good. If I don't correct those behaviors, those behaviors will blossom into much worse behaviors and attitudes as they mature into adults. So it is not loving for me to do that. Um, God places difficulties in the life of those he loves to bring them back to him. And Amos chapter 4, yep, that's the Old Testament. Amos chapter 4, verses 6 to 11, God is saying this uh, about his people. He says, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet... You did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain, and the field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I struck you with blight and mildew, your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locust devoured. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword and carried away your horses. And I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you, as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. God is not taking pleasure in pouring out these hardships on his people. Yet his desire is that they would return to him, that they would repent 
see the errors of their ways, and return to him. So God is saying in his love for his people, because he knows the best thing for them is to experience his love and to give glory and honor to him and to cherish him above all else. And their sin is prohibiting that. So God is putting hardship directly into their life and and killing many to try and bend their hearts back to him. Now, God is not failing, but this does show God's desire to use circumstances in our life to bring us back to him. God will, and God will at times keep those he loves in difficulties so that we rely on him. God will keep us in them indefinitely. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul says in verses 7, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God did not remove the thorn of the flesh from Paul because he didn't want him to trust in himself. He wanted Paul to be dependent on God, and that is what was best for him. So God's love is not always displayed in an overflowing of blessing in our lives in this present life. His love is vastly immeasurable in ways we can't even begin to imagine because he has loved us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But don't forget that he will use circumstances in our life to bring us to our knees in repentance, to teach us dependence on him, and not because he's cruel, but because he loves us. He knows that that is what is best for us. It keeps us from making idols of things that don't belong in our life, namely ourselves, our selfishness or our pride. So when God keeps those difficulties in your life, it's because he loves you and he's trying to bring you back to him. So as we look at God's love, we have to consider what does, this, what does this mean for us? How do we show God's love through ourselves? Like God's love, our love should take the initiative. In verse 10, the Apostle John says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son. So, It was not our doing that prompted God to love us. Again, there's nothing worthy of us to be loved. We were weak, we were ungodly, enemies of God. There's nothing in us that would prompt God to love us. He took the initiative. So as we look at that, we see that our responsibility is to take action to love those God has placed around us. We should not be waiting for others to reach out to us, for others to love us before we will love them. Our love for others, like God's, needs to be proactive. 
And I'll also mention, and this is something my wife has, has been great at reminding me of, and not in any kind of silly way, but she is very clear, and the Bible is as well, that love is always action. Love, unlike what the world around us tells us, is not this like warm feeling of, I don't even know, but it's, it's not just this feeling. Love is decisive action. It's not enough to say, oh, well, I meant to do this or I meant to do that, as I often have the habit of doing, to say, oh, well, my intentions were good. Well, yeah, but you didn't do it, so is that really loving? God didn't just merely intend to send Jesus. He did it. He did it when we had nothing in us that was worth loving. So as we look at the way God has loved us, we need to say, are we actively pursuing to love those who are around us, those who are perhaps annoying, difficult, kind of uncomfortable to be around, awkward? That probably describes me to many of you. I don't know. But that is what we're called to do, to, to reach into those lives, people that we would say, eh, I don't really see the benefit of helping them. How does that help me? That's, that's not love. <laughs> love is action. Love is taking the initiative, not waiting for others to come and love us. Love doesn't respond to the level of love it receives. Romans 13, 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. So, firstly, we are to love like God by taking the initiative. Like God's love, our love should have eternity in mind. Verse 9 says that we might live through him. And this is love God was made manifest. Yep, yep. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This idea of living through him is, is kind of identifying that Jesus is the source of our life. Um, that we are looking for eternal perspective, not just temporal. So, when we consider our relationships, we need to ask, are we simply loving people for now or for eternity? As a father or a mother, are we providing, are we looking to our family life and, and considering how we can provide for a better lifestyle, better education or activities? These are not demonstrations, great demonstrations of love. They can be, but are they the best thing for them? Love's great purpose is to lead in love and maturing relationships with Christ. How do we lead others to Christ? Love is not merely helping people with physical needs, although that is very important. Love is leading people to Christ. And again, that steps into that idea of not just doing what is kind or polite. Jesus says that the cross, the gospel, is a stumbling block. It's offensive. Jesus dying on the cross is offensive. But our love for people, our initiative in that love, would prompt us to step into that awkwardness and tell people the truth and to love them and tell them what is really going to happen. We are told as disciples of Jesus that if we love one another, we will reprove one another. When was the last time you confronted a brother or sister in, in love about sin that you see unrepentant in their life? I can't say that I've done it very much, so I'm not condemning any of you. But we are called to do that. Love is doing what is best for that person. 
as, as a father, or excuse me, as a, as a husband. Uh, I'm called to love my wife as Christ loved the church and to consider her needs before my own. And this does not mean just saying yes to everything that she would want. My goal is to lead and set direction. Now, I don't do a very good job of this a lot of times, but what we are called to do in love is to not just say yes, but to discern, is this going to lead my wife or my children to love God more fully? Uh, A member of uh, my home community fellowship group uh, recently shared that he was terrified of going to community fellowship group. But he insisted that his family go because he knew it was what was best for their family. I'm not saying everyone has to join a community fellowship group. That's not the pitch here. The point is he did something that was very uncomfortable for himself, maybe for his family, because he wanted to love them the best that he could. And he knew that that was to get them into gospel relationships, relationships where people will be praying for one another, not just doing what is comfortable. So God, our love should take initiative. Our love <clears throat> should have eternity in mind. And our love should be sacrificial. J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, uh, wrote this. The measure of love is how much it gives. And the measure of the love of God is the gift of his one and only son to become human and to die for our sins. And so to become the one mediator who can bring us to God. If the measure of love is how much it gives, God has given everything to love you. So as we look at our life, how do we give sacrificially to those around us? It was not easy for Jesus to come and live in this life and to die on the cross. It was difficult. It required great sacrifice. How do I, how do you sacrificially love those who are around you? As a father, my goal is to come home and not to plop on the couch and watch TV. My goal is to immediately insert myself into the life of my family to consider what is the best thing for them. (laughs) This can be done in many different ways. It's been pointed out to me recently. One of the ways I kind of escape at times to zone out is I wash dishes. And in my mind, I'm like, wow, I'm really loving, you know, I'm really loving my family here. And yet my wife has pointed out, I do that sometimes when I'm busy and stressed and don't really want to deal with the kids. And so this loving action I'm taking is actually slightly selfish. It's not doing what I should be doing in that moment. And yes, it is loving, but it's not what's best. What's best is for me to get down and play with my kids and correct them and love and, and have relationship with them, not just put them off and ignore them. So God's love, our love needs to take initiative. It needs to have eternity in mind. It needs to be sacrificial. And like God's love, our love is to bear with those we love. 1 Corinthians 13, the great love passage, which read, is read at every single marriage I've ever been to, and is not actually about marriage. It's just about love. So it's applicable to you, whether you are single, divorced, married, whatever. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says that love bears all things, 
believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We have to keep love. The, the, our love must keep the agenda of Christ's kingdom before us. God bore with us in our sin for a long time. He's still bearing with us as we love him imperfectly, as we follow him imperfectly. So as we love those who are around us, we cannot allow ourselves to become frustrated and worn out by their inabilities. Peter, in trying to impress Jesus, said, Father, if I forgive my brother seven times, is that enough? And Jesus said, you should forgive him 70 times seven. And that's in a given day. So Peter, feeling pretty good about forgiving his brother seven times, Jesus is basically saying, you need to do it indefinitely. Our love needs to bear with people in their difficulties. When people wrong us, we still need to love them. When people are extremely difficult, we need to love them because God loved us in ways that we can't even imagine. We like to think of ourselves as being polished, likable, lovable, and yet to God, without Jesus, we are repugnant. Now, John's whole emphasis in this passage, and truthfully in the whole book, is he's kind of asserting to people to question where their allegiance lies. Earlier in the book, he talks about You know, if you say you have no sin, you are a liar. And here, he flips flips the same sentence over. And in seven, he says, and this is the call of this whole passage, let us love one another, beloved believers, people he cares for. Let us love one another, for love is from God. That's our motivation. Love is from God, therefore we need to love others. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So John's point in saying this, and later he makes it even more explicitly clear, is for us to question, do we really love God? Do we show that we love God? And in the end of the chapter, in verses 19 to 21, John says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So this evening, believer, how are you doing at loving your brother? If, if the love of God is in us, it should be evident and plain to the world around us, not just to believers, but to unbelievers. The love we have for our brothers is evidence of God's love in us. And if we do not have God's love in us, we have not truly repented. We have not truly been saved. If that is you tonight, I ask that you would consider deeply Have you really given Jesus all of your heart? Now, we all struggle to do these things. None of us can do it perfectly, and that's that's part of this life. But are you growing in your love for your brothers? Are you repenting when there's errors made? If not, John says that you are outside of God's love, and that, 
that is a terrible place to be. So as we close tonight, I would encourage you to consider how are you doing at loving your brother? Is the love of God truly in you? What ways can you improve in the way that you love those who are around you? Because God has greatly loved you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider your love, Lord, it is overwhelming to think the great lengths that you've gone to to save us as as rebellious and as much as we hated you in our sin, Lord, you loved us enough to send your son to die for us. And God, I just ask that as a church, that this would lead to an outpouring of love to one another as you have commanded us to do, God, and that this love would be so evident to the community around us that they would say, what is different about this place? Why is there such a great love amongst these difficult and stubborn people. God, help us to be more like you. God, help us to give praise and honor and glory to your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.